Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Parson and Michael Baranowski. Hello and welcome to the Politics Guys, a weekly roundup of what's been happening in American politics and why it matters. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week is, as always, Cleveland attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson, the man to see for all your commercial litigation needs. Our lead story this week is Baltimore, where on Monday violence erupted in the wake of the funeral of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old black man who died of a spinal cord injury while in police custody on April 12th, allegedly due to police brutality. Rioters looted threw bottles and rocks at police, set police cars on fire, injuring 98 officers. In response, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan declared a state of emergency and called in the National Guard to restore order. The mayor of Baltimore blamed the violence on what she called thugs who always want to incite violence and destroy our city and imposed a citywide curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. for the week. Then later on in the week, on Thursday, Baltimore police handed over to prosecutors the results of their initial investigation into Gray's death, in which they acknowledged that he was shackled but not put into a seatbelt, which is contrary to department policy. In addition, officers appeared to have ignored repeated requests for medical attention from Gray. And then on Friday, the state's attorney for Baltimore City, Marilyn Mosby, charged six police officers with a range of crimes related to the incident, including murder and manslaughter. Mosby stated that there was no probable cause for Gray's arrest in the first place, as no crime had been committed, and that Gray was never belted into the police van despite repeated stops to check on him, and at times he was left face down on the van floor with his hands cuffed behind him. The officers that were arrested were three uh, white and three black officers, including lieutenant, with 17 years on the force, several uh, fairly new officers, and a woman who had just been promoted to sergeant. So what do you think about all this, Jay? Well, that was, that, <clears throat> that was sort of a longer intro. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, first things first, uh, from the legal standpoint, um, my sense is I don't, we don't have all the facts yet. We don't have all the evidence. But it would certainly appear there's, there's uh, more than probable cause to bring these charges. Uh, you know, everyone's going to be innocent until proven guilty. But, uh, yeah, at this point, I, I think the, uh, the prosecutor did the right thing and the charges seem to be appropriate. Uh, so so now, then you, you wouldn't agree with the uh, police union, which called this a rush to judgment? I rarely agree with unions of any stripe, Mike. Uh, <laughs> even, even police unions. unions. Okay. You're, you're consistent. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, look, it's not a, a rush to judgment. It's a, um, uh, you know, if, if there's probable cause, there's probable cause, and you get the, the judgment after the trial. Uh, now, there may be a rush to judgment uh, in, in the streets of Baltimore, and, and the folks who still are saying, you know, they demand justice, meaning they demand a certain result mm -hmm. uh, before the facts are in. Um, but so, at this point, it, it, it would appear that, you know, that it's going through the process as, as it ought to. So, so what do you what do you think about the riots in response to uh, you know at, at, throughout the week or especially on on Monday actually I mean was that a sort of an understandable justifiable response to uh, uh, police brutality or at least a perception of it or something else? Well, I, I suppose it's it's predictable whether it's a response to police brutality. I don't know, and this this is something I think is, is sort of funny. Is every time 
one of these things uh, happens, uh, whether it's it's uh, New York or or uh, Missouri uh, or Cleveland, there's sort of the responsible is about police brutality. And the next thing is, well, no, it's about root causes. And when you say root causes, that means it's about we want some sort of uh, more money, more funding for something. Um, you know, for example, then, you know, earlier today, there was uh, um, Baltimore politicians saying, well, this is the result of we need more school funding and so forth. Uh, uh, which I think is ridiculous. As far as the, the the rioting goes, I mean, listen, there's it's one thing to to protest, and I think that is laudable. I think that's a, a civic duty, even when uh, you've got uh, a government that is is being heavy-handed uh, or is out of control, and uh, or perceived in that way, or that you've got just circumstances which. Uh, uh, seem seem to, to point in that direction. Absolutely, people ought to take to the streets. Um, but that that's also not a, a thing of people have to take to the, the streets and burn down the CVS. Uh, my my sense is that in any uh, given community, there's there are a bunch of people who want to go burn stuff down and smash windows and, and take free stuff. Sure. Um, and that that's I think can go back to if you look at you know well, I think- Watts Watts or the Huff riots in Cleveland or L.A. in '92. I think a lot of people would argue that that's the result of being brought up in a culture of violence, a culture of violence that the police uh, in in many big cities are also very much a part of, essentially, in that you have uh, a large number of young black men with essentially no jobs and nothing to lose, and all they know, or at least much of what they know, is violence as a as, as the response to any sort of provocation. And, you know, a lot was made of, or at least uh, kind of in a viral sense of that uh, mother who, you know, beat on her, beat on her kid and everyone was, had a good laugh about that because he was a protester. But it, you know, it sort of suggests that that's, that's a real common response in, in some communities. And certainly it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily do it, much it, to solve it. It certainly ought to. You mean, you mean the mom beating on the son is the common response or the violence is the common Just response? Just the idea of, of violence as the common yeah. response. Yeah. Well, uh, exactly. It, it's we've gotten this weird thing in our culture where there's a sense of, of justification of it, and this is something that that made Baltimore a little more different. Not actually on the streets, but in all the the reporting and the going back and forth, the the blogs and so forth. A lot of of your more left leaning stuff uh, was not pushing a we want peaceful protest. It was now the violence is uh, is appropriate. Really? Uh, it, it went, yeah, Huffington Post had some stuff like that. And, well, the Huffington Post, the Huffington Post yeah, uh, is, okay. Uh, Salon, I believe. And, oh, so, and, and again, <laughs> I don't necessarily read these publications. Uh, it's it's just people keep posting them to my Facebook and so forth. But uh, no, it was, it was very much a, uh, we don't condemn the violence or, uh, well, I guess we sort of, we sort of condone it. And, and I think, People who do that are either being disingenuous or, or naive. Uh, like I said, I think I, a lot of these folks are uh, opportunity shoppers. Uh, yeah, I, I think to, it's I think it's as much more to liter, you know uh, uh, civic minded protesters. Yeah, I think it's much more disingenuous. People in the Huffington Post and Salon trying to uh, you know make provocative arguments and so forth. You know, I don't. I, to, to me, the sense is more that right. it's gotta, understandable, yeah, look, not commendable. Vox was in in those also that hey, we got to look edgy. Um, sure. Yeah. 
But I mean, uh, one thing I thought that was interesting, speaking of provocative uh, angles or takes on this, is I saw from a number of conservative outlets, which I do read because I like to get the other side's view of, of these things, uh, National Review for one, uh, had the argument that essentially this is the result of uh, – what they call blue America or the left's failure at social justice, their failure at equality, essentially the argument being that these cities where all of this, all of these things have happened, whether it's Cleveland or Baltimore or what have you, they're democratic uh, majority monopoly cities essentially and that uh, they, they've failed their cities. So what, what, do you, what do you think about that argument? Well, I think there's a lot, a lot of truth in it. I mean in any uh, – and I want, to, I want to qualify this by saying a couple of things. First of all, the National Review piece, I didn't necessarily take away the same thing that you did. And my, my difference would be maybe a little very subtle. But to me, it, it didn't seem that uh, this is a, a condemnation that saying these policies are causing the riots. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's more a thing of, look, these policies have been in place to adjust these problems, which have persisted. Uh, and they haven't done anything. They haven't solved the problems. So, again, that's a subtle difference. Right. Yeah, my, my take on it, it seemed to me, and the problem I had with this argument is it seemed to me that uh, the author was uh, essentially trying to blame, you know, this democratic monopoly. And, and my, my initial thought was, well, if there's, if there's a monopoly, who's, whose fault is that? I mean, it seems to me that uh, conservatives have – well, yeah. <laughs> The, the lack of competition. I mean, if, if Republicans are serious about this, they wouldn't have, ban- have abandoned the cities in droves for the suburbs, leaving them and uh, you know an incredibly minimized tax base and uh, hollowing them out. And you, of course, this is what you're going to get. So if oh. if people are so concerned about this, then they should get reinvolved in their cities and uh, not uh, not throw you know not throw bombs from from the suburbs essentially and where they're living. Yeah, that's why I was surprised that you went there. That that would seem to be. If, if you if you take that to the sort of logical conclusions, would seem to be uh, something I'd imagine would be unpopular at the faculty lounge. Um, what is that? that it, it, well, it seems to be a sort of concession that what we need is uh, more conservatives uh, uh, governing. Well, I think what we need is uh, competition in political ideas, certainly. But uh, Republicans, at least in the inner cities, have essentially abandoned the field. Well, again, I think abandoned is, a, is a one way to put it. Uh, been chased out is another. Chased out? Uh, chased I mean, out? I, I, I know could, about that. I could very much you know, go down to uh, Cleveland City Hall and say, hi, I'm a Republican. I'm here to help. Um, I, don't, I don't think that would get very far. I don't think it's a matter of going down to City Hall and kind of you know, coming in from, from the outside. It's a matter of being an actual part of the community. And you don't really see uh, that many conservatives being part of these inner city communities. You know, so I think that's really the issue is, is you know, you can't really deal with the problems of a community you're not a member of. At least not well, as effectively. And, and I guess the, that's sort of the question. When, when the if you've got the the race card, which is sort of the, what is typically played by the left, that that excludes many conservatives, and it certainly excludes any white conservatives from participation. There's the sense that uh, you know you can't come in here and say, "Hey, I, I uh, want to do this, that, or the other thing," because you just don't understand. You're not of the uh, the right race to even discuss this. So, I, I mean, I think that's that's you know why when you say uh, conservatives abandoned the city, it's it's not as if they were all holding these these positions and governing uh, reasonably and things were going great and just uh, one day decided to quit. 
Um, well, I, I guess I guess I would take issue with that a little bit. I don't think it's so much that people would say, "Well, you're not the right race." I think would people would say that, "Well, you're you're coming in here from the suburbs, and so you can't know because you don't experience that sort of thing." And I think that's a very different argument. Well, that I, well, I, w- I would I would say uh, city and suburb that is. Uh, uh, sort of shorthand for race in in many circles, um, uh, if if you would to put it to that. But but more to the the point of the uh, the National Review author's uh, point, uh, it it does seem. I mean, whether whether you want to say conservatives abandoned the cities or not, um, Democrats who have been very confident in their ability to to run these things and and have had. Not necessarily a shortage of resources. If you look at how much money, federal money, state money has flowed into uh, various city programs, uh, it it just hasn't worked. And I think his point was uh, these, you know, it, it was sort of a don't blame me. Um, uh, I voted for uh, uh, Romney. You know, almost. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad but, you but brought look, that. I mean, here, here's the thing: it's like you can't. What I, I think what I want to what he's saying is you can't blame the the conservative boogeyman. Uh, when you have a black mayor, a black police chief, uh, a, a city that's been democratically run for for fifty some years, and say these problems have existed for all this time. Um, okay, I see what you're saying. I, I guess I would disagree in the sense that, um, and we talked about uh, you know investment in the cities, and, and the conservative argument has been that has been done and it has been tried. So these Democrats in charge have been given the resources and they've. Uh, misuse them, mismanage them. I, I would take issue with that. I would say that one of the problems is that these resources have been put to the wrong uses. Uh, a lot of this money that was spent was spent on on housing. And to me, uh, in Baltimore is a great example of that. In the 90s, they spent uh, millions, tens of millions of dollars on housing projects. But right. housing without jobs is kind of nonsensical because you don't have jobs for people. The, housing's, the housing part of it is going to fall apart. And, and I think maybe the reason the money is spent on that is because it's a tangible thing. Uh, the, builder, the building industry certainly gets something out of that and so forth. But the way to deal with this is to try to find a way to bring jobs to these communities because without that, you're going to have these problems. And so it's not so much, I don't think, that uh, that the investment has failed. Well, investment has failed in many cases because it's the wrong sort of investment. And so then arguing that we shouldn't be throwing more money at this problem, I don't think that's correct. I think it's, we just need to be putting it in a different direction. Well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not too far different on you, with you on this and that the investment has failed because it's the wrong investment. But I would say the problem is less a, uh, a monetary investment. What's needed is more a uh, – I can't think of a better way to put it, but moral investment. A moral uh, investment? The, the issue – the issue, and, and, and you're not going to like this. The issue <laughs> okay. uh, in, in so many of these things, and, and I think you pointed this out, and the other article that, that we're going to talk about um, uh, regarding Baltimore is, is that this is less a racial issue and this is more about culture. There is a there is a culture uh, that is it's it's not it's something that 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 breeds riots that breeds violence that uh, breeds poverty it lives in poverty. You, you're not so you're not talking about the uh, the violent corrupt culture of the police force. No no no. I'm, okay, because that's another about, culture we need to talk right, about. That's, but that's well, and we'll talk about that too. Uh, but it is it is the culture that that says uh, it's okay when something bad happens to go out and, and uh, burn down the CVS. 
And the the type of investment we need are our civic leaders, are the moms like the Baltimore moms stepping up uh, and and saying, "Hey, son, get your ass home." And beating your um, kid. And that that ought to be if if there had been you know a hundred more of those Baltimore moms, things would be different. And that's very difficult to quantify. It's difficult to to do anything from a, a public policy standpoint to say. Look, you need to be. Uh, uh, we need to change this this culture. Well, but remember, um, though, this only happened but, because <clears throat> the police. Uh, pretty, it seems there seems to be a lot of evidence suggesting that this happened because the police uh, mistreated to, to the point of you know uh, murdering uh, a suspect who they arrested with no probable cause. And and so, if we want to get to you know to to try to prevent these sort of things. And one thing that we can certainly do is we can change the incentive structure. We can change the culture of the police force. And that's something government has much more direct control over. Yeah, I would say that's right. And that's something I think conservatives ought to be able to get on board with. Uh, You know, certainly there's the idea that conservatives are all about, uh, uh, you know, justice and uh, uh, tough on crime. Uh, but there is also a, a sense that, uh, and we've we've seen this in, in in all the various police brutality cases, and something we haven't talked about, but will at some point, the Wisconsin um, John Doe raids. Uh, it's an issue of of a police uh, overacting, overreaching, and and a culture that's been created uh, in the police departments. Uh, in in certain cities uh, that that allows that and yeah I think that is something that government can can do more to as opposed to uh, civic institutions uh, churches and so forth uh, pushing sort of my well, I guess what we'll call my moral investment agenda. And there's a great uh, article on that by David Simon, uh, the, who was a former uh, Baltimore Sun reporter, and uh, most people would know him as the guy behind the HBO show The Wire, who, who argued that essentially if you want to fix these problems, at least in Baltimore, that one of the big things is, uh, number one, ending the drug war. And a lot of folks both left and right have made arguments about that. But other thing, another thing he pointed out is that you could do certain things to change the police culture. Culture. Like, for instance, uh, you know, cops get overtime pay for testifying in court, and that's a that's a big part of a, a police officer's salary. And so, mm-hmm. if you change the if you change the incentives, if you change the overtime structure, so you don't give them overtime for testifying in court on these kind of BS petty little arrests, then all of a sudden that's going to change their behavior. Well, and I guess this gets right back to uh, Kevin Williamson from National Review's point. Do you believe a a deep blue uh, government, democratic government, would go up against the police unions on something like that and say, no, we're not going to allow uh, police overtime for testifying in court? That would be sort of a prime example of, I'd say, where where blue state governments or blue city governments has has contributed to the problem or at least has not solved the problem. Well, I don't know because I know certainly in the 90s in a lot of big cities, they started to focus on that uh, broken windows type policing, quality of life crimes and so forth and, and bringing in a lot of people on those sort of things. And I would think that you know if they uh, increased that sort of policing, they could probably decrease it as well, though there might be a little more resistance. Though it seems like there's a lot of political support on both the left 
and the right. It's actually sort of an interesting change because, uh, you know, we saw in the uh, mid-1990s a huge boom in uh, this sort of policing and a lot more arrests and a boom in prison population. And now both Democrats and Republicans are saying, you know, we, we may have overreacted, which some people argue would maybe cause some problems for Hillary Clinton, who whose husband is one of the big proponents of this type of uh, policing in the uh, 1990s. Well, I think uh, the talking about broken window policing um, uh, again. That's that's less a. Uh, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that, that that's that's the problem, uh, as opposed to like as you say, when you're looking at police departments as revenue generators, uh, which we talked about in Ferguson, uh, and also sort of trials as, as revenue generators for police officers and police unions. So, but but I, I would very much recommend the Simon piece to, to anybody because I think that that gets to the idea that this is more than just a racial issue. And I think the, when this gets painted as, as being solely racial, uh, the solutions prove uh, more elusive. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll when, definitely when you are when you do look at this, is this is a a culture issue? Uh, it's a power issue. Um, there's there's more common ground to be found, and and there are more I think viable solutions out there uh, than if we just say it's it's racism and um, I'm going to burn down the CVS. Right, and we'll we'll post a link to that in the show notes. So, okay, um, well, moving on. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard I think it was two and a half hours of oral arguments in uh, Obergefell, I think I got that right, versus Hodges, which is the case on appeal from the Sixth Circuit, which, as you know, Jay, is only a few miles from where I am at this very moment in Cincinnati. Well, and as our listeners may or may not know, I was a uh, clerk uh, for the, the Sixth Circuit uh, uh, Court of Appeals uh, and clerked for the, well, the, now the, the former chief judge of the Sixth Circuit. So, so we both it, have a Sixth Circuit connection here, and we'll um, be and I will be attending in a week or two uh, the uh, Sixth Circuit Judicial Conference, and I will be the special correspondent back to the show for that. Excellent. So. Well, we're looking forward to that. So, in anyways, in this case, it actually uh, consolidated three other cases, so four in one, and on the questions of whether the Fourteenth Amendment requires that states grant or recognize same-sex marriages. So, uh, how do you think things are going to play out in this, Jay? Well, I'll tell you, this This was a little different, and I would also start off by saying we'll post this to the um, the uh, show links. Uh, but it's, it's pretty geeky, but if you listen to the oral arguments on this stuff, if you're at all into this, it's really fun. And I, I think it's, it's a good exercise for people who get all angry and, and post angry memes uh, – about about uh, equal rights and so forth that are that are very overly simplified. Uh, if you sit and listen to the oral arguments, which is a lot of very smart people discussing this in a very smart way, um, I think you'll come away feeling better about the issue and feeling better about America in general. Um, but I think one of the, the high the high points for me is uh, Justice Kennedy expressed some skepticism. Uh, saying, listen, this definition of, of marriage has been with us for millennia, uh, and it's difficult to say, hey, we know better based on 
what's essentially a decade or two of, of right. experience. Justice Scalia made a, a similar point, though it's a, a little uh, less surprising coming from right, him. What you expect it from yeah. Scalia. Yeah. Now, the response to that was something along the lines of, "Well, you know, we we had uh, we had, for instance, slavery as a or, or you know segregation as a revered tradition for millennia, and uh, that doesn't make it right just because it's been happening for a long time, essentially." Yeah, but I think there's there's a, a difference here uh, based on. You know, segregation and and well, first of all, slavery that was that was fixed by a different constitutional amendment. Uh, segregation, I think people can say was was intended to be addressed by the Fourteenth Amendment, but but just didn't because of, of various other reasons. But that there's something inherently different, um, and that I don't think you can say we've got a uh, millennia history of of segregation being the approved way to to deal with with uh, with how we, we treat race. Um, and, and I think the other uh, high point that, that Scalia raised, and this is something I'd, I'd put to you, is uh, who should decide the points? Uh, should nine unelected people decide this? Uh, or should it be a, a situation where state legislators or uh, states by referendum make their own choices. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's an important argument to bring up and you know, some folks have pointed out that there are right now 37 states that allow uh, same-sex marriage. Though only 11 of those states did that through the democratic process. The rest of them that was through uh, court rulings in response to the uh, Windsor case a few a few years ago. And sure. my response to that is that there are certain fundamental values that we hold, such as equal protection of the laws, that are not up for democratic debate. You know, a, the majority may want to do a lot of things to punish or, or put down a minority, but they don't get to do that under our system. It's majority rule with minority no, rights. No, 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 no. But here's the, the, the difference is being put down as opposed to, uh, listen, no one even thought of this uh, until roughly 20, 25 years ago. Um, I don't see how that's relevant. Well, it's it's relevant because if the people's understandings and people can change their their laws as their consciousness evolves, as their as their moods change, uh, but it's something different to say there is a right embedded in the Constitution uh, that that can change based on how we feel about something uh, on a certain certain day, a certain topic. Um, so help me so, out here. Yeah. So how does that? I mean, how does that change the idea that uh, because you are uh, because you are a homosexual or you want to marry someone of the same sex? I guess you don't have to be a homosexual to marry someone of the same sex, though it's probably the common way that you aren't entitled to equal protection of the laws. I mean, that's where that's where I see the disconnect here in your argument. Well, I, th I think you're you are uh, uh, begging the question by saying entitled to equal protection of the laws. Um, the the other side of that argument would be: Listen, there's the the law has never recognized any same sex marriage, uh, and it's it's a different classification because uh, this isn't just a matter of uh, where you have one speed limit for heterosexuals, one speed limit for homosexuals. This is a matter of we've we've got a definition of marriage that has stood the test of time. It's been been uh, codified um, by various governments, state, local, uh, wherever, for all this all this time, and and now we're going to say, well, this means something different. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I've, I've heard Scalia. And, and it's, it was the, you know, the, the Ohio uh, constitutional amendment, uh, which our voters might be surprised to know I voted against, uh, you know, was sort of a uh, prophylactic, uh, for lack of a better word, um, against what happened in uh, after after the Defense of Marriage Act uh, passed. I mean, where the, the government essentially invited states to say, listen, you can determine your own public policy as as uh, as to marriage. Um, and they made, you know, Ohioans made that decision. Uh, the, the issue for the court is, can you say there's no rational basis for that decision when it's been the status quo for millennia uh, up until the late 90s, early 2000s. Right, and I think that's the problem is right now that uh, state laws uh, that discriminate against same-sex couples are based on that rational basis standard, which is a pretty low bar to, to, to get over, whereas uh, I think that they should be based on a, a heightened, a strict scrutiny standard. That there is a fundamental right to marry, uh, and yes. that, is, that would therefore be subject to strict, strict scrutiny. Exactly. Yeah, I, get that. I get it. I get the argument. Um, quite honestly, my I think that that we will end up with a court that will allow, will say there is some sort of fundamental right uh, to marry. Um, but let me put this to you. How, how do you uh, distinguish between the arguments that will come in a year or two on polygamy? Oh, I think that's a, I think that's that's a good that's a good question, and I think part of the you know part of the reason for the arguments against uh, allowing same sex marriage talk uh, uh, focus on things like uh, how these things affect uh, the children, family units, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of research that suggests that there really is no difference controlling for you know other important factors and so forth. Now, polygamy, I think, would be a, a potentially a very different type of thing. Uh, and why would that? Well, I think that you can make a very good case, uh, just kind of a prima facie case, that when you have a, a polygamous, polygamous uh, situation, that that creates a lot of strange uh, emotional issues and problems and so forth. Now, we don't know that to be sure, but I think a reasonable person might conclude that, whereas you can't conclude that with same-sex couples because there's plenty of research that uh, pretty definitively suggests just the opposite. Mm. So that would be my that, but I, I see your point, and that would be my response to that. But it, but it would go to the the idea of uh, you know quite honestly, the research though wouldn't wouldn't affect whether you have a fundamental right or not. No, but it, uh, would, it, would, it would go to the it would go to the balance of the evidence when you're applying your strict exactly strict scrutiny. Yeah, exactly. And you might you might argue, well, yes, but in this case, strict scrutiny uh, is will apply it, but uh, uh, polygamy still fails because there's enough evidence to show the uh, show otherwise. Exactly. Yeah, that would, right. that would be my thinking. So, well, you know, I think no matter how this case is decided, or just the fact that it will be decided, and I expect it to be a, a five, four, six, three decision that essentially uh, affirms a, a right, a fundamental right to marriage for same-sex couples. Uh, this could potentially actually help out uh, Republicans, uh, at least Republican candidates, in, in the short run. Uh, what do you think about that argument? I think you're you're right in that it's sort of uh, on the one hand it would uh, fire up the base. Uh, it would also sort of uh, let Republican politicians off the hook uh, with that with right. that very same base. And, and, and there are certainly some. Uh, I think the more libertarian Republicans who would rather not deal with this issue and the, uh, the the prospect of being able to say, "Well, I'm not so sure about this," but the Supreme Court has ruled, and of course I respect the court. Let's move on and talk about you know tax incentives or something like that. That's that's very attractive. 
Right. Uh, and it, it uh, yeah, well, still the, the base will still be fired up. Now, the other, of course, is, is uh, people might then say, listen, we want a, a litmus test on uh, presidential uh, or, or any candidates to say, look, you're not going to support judges that would uh, would either further um, alter. Uh, they would use the erode, destroy. Right. Uh, Certainly they would. Yeah. Um, uh, and you, so you will have that. So it's not going to go away entirely. But no, I, I agree. There, there is some sort of uh, you're let off the hook a little bit uh, if the the decision is already done and uh, uh, and decided. So yeah, because demographically, but, this is not a, a a winning issue for Republicans. At least looking into the future, as you look at the younger voters, even even younger voters who uh, identify as Republicans, uh, you don't find majority support for that kind of traditional Republican. Uh, uh, anti-same-sex marriage position. Right. I think, you know, in, in my, my position, and I probably re- represent a minority of the minority, and when I even try to explain it, it sounds weird. Uh, you know, I think the, the issue is, uh, my issue is more with, with uh, not with gay marriage substantively, it's, it's with uh, judicial activism, uh, which it's tough to get people excited about. Yes, very um, tough. People rarely, I mean, again, Law type law geeks and stuff, and and you know would would tend to care about that. But no, most most people see this, and I think this is this is a concern for me. Is that you know the Supreme Court is sort of the uh, fairy godmother that you know, and I, I don't mean anything derogatory in the gay marriage sense by that. Um, right. That that just sort of look here's something I want. It's something that seems good. It's something people like. Um, give it to me. Um, you know, I want a pony. Um, you know, I may or may not have well, a well, constitutional right to a pony, but you know. Yeah, and that, that the question becomes, what what do you have a constitutional right to? And I would say that you you absolutely have a fundamental right to uh, uh, to marry. So well, let, let me just bounce one one before we leave this topic. Okay, well, there's one other thing I want. But the the uh, attorney for the uh, plaintiffs, or no, I'm sorry, the defendants in this case. Um, the the anti gay marriage to simplify it the haters uh, the haters exactly uh, he made a statement in, his, in uh, towards the end where he says the state doesn't have an interest in love and emotion at all and I wanted to get get your thoughts on that hmm. is there a state interest in love I'm going to say emotion? that there's not a state interest in love you'd have to make a you'd have to make a pretty convincing case to me i I don't want the state I certainly don't want the state to have an interest in love that makes me i don't know this is sort of my just visceral reaction I don't want the state to have an interest in love i guess and if the state interest and if there is not a standard interest in love uh then you know what's the state interest in marriage at all uh, I think that the the response would be well it's procreation mm, uh, stability of society and so forth and the procreation argument uh falls apart for a number of reasons right um but uh no i was just interested to see what you thought of that it makes me uncomfortable i guess that's that's what i think of it so all right so we should expect the decision i guess here sometime probably in what in june i think sometime? they're talking june yeah, okay well we'll definitely report back on that that'll be well the one last thing i do want to mention yeah. just because it's it's a scalia shout out um, was, of course, that uh, at one point during the argument, um, there was an interruption from the crowd, uh, a gentleman saying, you know, you can all burn in hell. Right. Uh, this abomination to God and uh, stop the progress, at which point Scalia, without really missing a beat, uh, said, it's rather refreshing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, can totally 
picture that from him. So, uh, and again, I, I go to the audio. I, everyone should do this, um, regardless of where you are on on the issue. Uh, it it will make you uh, it will make you feel smarter. It will make you feel better about things in general, and you'll be less likely to post angry memes. Well, that sounds like a good thing. Certainly, yeah. uh, good use of time. All right, um, moving on. Uh, I, I'm sure you might have heard of this story. It's kind of buried in a in a big week, but uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, independent uh, senator from Vermont announced that he is challenging Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination for president. So finally, Hillary has a challenger, not just from the left, but from the far left. And, the fever uh, swamps of the left. Yes. I, I love how the New York Times so understatedly put it. They said, quote, Mr. Sanders bid is considered a long shot. Yeah, and I think so. It's the longest. It, it's going to be totally fine. And, and just the, the – uh, uh, his, his his visual. Uh, I mean, the he looks just like the the crazy old uncle. Uh, I mean, he's it, it's going to be great. He calls himself a democratic socialist and a a, a grumpy grandfather type. So that's uh, yeah, that doesn't really sound like an ideal candidate. Uh, but he did say we're in this race to win. Uh, yeah, and uh, that he felt that people were maybe underestimating him. Well, so, I, I, I would say, and we've talked about this before. I think people are probably overestimating Hillary. Um, but in a, cause yeah, in a, um, Sanders, uh, Clinton debate, uh, how much fun will that be with the Hillary Clinton perfectly scripted, rehearsed, poll tested answers and, and Bernie Sanders just getting up there and saying whatever the hell he wants. I, I gotta say, <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to be a lot of fun just to watch the, watch debates. Cause I, I will, I will like to, uh, to see him hear what he has to say. Cause he has essentially nothing to lose. Right. So that should yep. be, that should be fun. All right, then. I think that uh, pretty much where we're, we're at around half an hour or so, and we like to go about a half an hour. So I guess that pretty much does it for this week. Yeah, but so, it was a good week. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Also, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. You can follow. Rate, rate, it, rate it highly. Yes, high, high. That, that, even that, more. I should add that absolutely. So <clears throat> you can follow us throughout the week on the Politics Guys blog, which you can find at our website politicsguys.com, as well as on Twitter. Our handle is Politics Guys. We'll be back next Sunday with another look at the week in American politics. We hope you'll join us. <laughs>